0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in 3, 2, 1. out. It's something that we are told, if we do, 20 to 25 minutes, three to five times a week, will make all the difference in the world, in your health. If you've got high blood pressure, it will begin to bring it down. Even diabetes will begin to come into regulation. Your weight will start to come off if you can work out. Now, that's an interesting phrase, work out. The idea is that as you work, stuff comes out, fat comes out, calories come out. But as you do that, there is also a working in. There's a working in of health. There's a working in of strength to your heart. There's working in of muscle tone. And a lot of people, especially in January, right around New Year's resolution time, are are going to Kohl's and getting the jogging pants and going to Foot Locker and getting the the running shoes, ordering the treadmill, getting the diet book from Amazon. And they come in the mail and there they are and we already feel the pounds coming off. We already feel like we're well on our way. And unfortunately, we'll give it a shot. We'll read a few pages of the book and maybe we'll run around the block a few times and put on those jogging clothes for a few weeks. But how often is it that they go by the wayside? It's not enough to get the suit. It's not enough to get the treadmill. It's not enough to get the book. You've got to actually eat the stuff that they tell you to eat in the book and nothing else. You've got to actually put on the jogging suit and go to work. You've got to get on that treadmill and run or walk or whatever you're going to do. But you've got to work because the operative word is work out. Without the work, there's no out. And without the work, there's no in. And this applies to relationships too. What do we say when a relationship is not healthy? Like if a body's not healthy. If a relationship is not healthy, we need to work out our differences. Couples need to work out their issues. Individuals need to work out the conflict that they have. And so the Gary Smalley DVDs will will be ordered. The Boundaries book will be read through and, and promises of changes will be made But you also learn that it's not enough to do that for a week or two. It's actually got to become a whole lifestyle, a lifestyle of exercise, a lifestyle of working on your relationship. That's how issues get worked out. That's how bad health habits get worked out. That's how good things get worked in. Now, last week, you heard, I'm assuming you did the the first verses of this chapter, but, but you heard about... This amazing process that Jesus Christ went through, mind-blowing, mysterious, that he gave up his rights and privileges as God, emptied himself and became a servant, humbled himself to the point of a cross, and therefore, at this beautiful crescendo, verses 9 to 11, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. Wow! What we're given in the early part of this chapter is the model, the jogging suit, the treadmill, the book, the example. We've been given the tool. We've been given the outline. And now it's time for us to get to work. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul has a concern here. It's a legitimate concern. I'm not there in Philippi anymore. Are you doing as good a job as you were when I was there? Look what he wrote in verse 27 of chapter 1. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, either way, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're going to have a party at our house. And uh, we're going to invite all kinds of people. And, and what, what do you do when you're going to have a party at your house? You clean up. You straighten up. You mop the floor. You put things back where they belong. And people show up for the party. And what do you say? Please excuse the mess. <laughs> and you know it actually looks better than it has in a really long time. But you still say excuse the mess. Why? Because you want people to think, wow, it looks even better than this normally. Like we, wanna, we want to impress other people. And we've got to get out of this mindset of being so concerned about what everybody else thinks except for one, the Lord. And we're never absent from the Lord. You're absent from other people and then present with them. And so we, we try to play these games with each other to put on a good impression. But with God, you can never put on a good impression because he's always present. And so because he's always present, we always have to be behaving in a way that honors and pleases him. DL Moody said that true character is who a person is when nobody else is watching. And that's the kind of character we need to be. So whether Paul says I'm present or I'm absent, please, please, please do this. Work out. Work out your salvation. This letter was written in the 50s AD, somewhere around there, early part of the 60s AD. Nero is the emperor. Nero was a builder. He loved to build. I'm not about to make any kind of commentary on the upcoming presidential election having to do with builders and being in charge, okay? Don't read anything into this. But Nero was a builder who loved to build buildings. He was in charge. He was the emperor. He wanted to rebuild Rome. He didn't like the way Rome looked. So he set it on fire. He burned it to the ground. And then said Christians did it. And starting with Nero, right up to Domitian, about 50 years later, there there was tremendous persecution among the Christians. To the extent that they were set on fire, they were tied up and put inside the carcasses of dead animals and thrown to lions for entertainment. Horrible, horrible persecution was about to come to Christians all across the Roman Empire. And so Paul is telling the Philippians... Look, you've got to have the kind of faith that's not just a Sunday morning wear my Bible, put on my good good outfit kind of faith. You've got to have the faith that you're the same kind of believing person on Monday morning that you were on Sunday morning without any difference whatsoever. Work out, why? Because, look, look how it goes on. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for, his good pleasure. Work out because God wants to work in what? His pleasure. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, do you know what he does? He puts desires in your heart. This verse does not mean he'll give you anything you want. No, what this verse means is he gives you the wants themselves. As you're delighting yourself in the Lord, all of a sudden you want the things he wants you to want, and the stuff you used to want, all of a sudden you don't want it so much anymore. You're saying, "I used to love to do that. I don't love to do that anymore. I love to do things now that I never thought I'd love to do. But I love to I love to read the Bible. I love to pray. I I I enjoy going to church." I never did before. What's happened? Desires have been put in your heart as you've delighted yourself in God that He put there. So He's working in His good pleasure. We've got a workout here with a partner. Those of you who lift weights, I don't, never did, but it's so important to have that person, what do they call them, the spotter, you know, that partner who's there to make sure you don't kill yourself with the weights. We've got a partner that's awesome. And he's God. How many of you have a partner at work that your job kind of depends on someone else also doing their job well? And if they don't do their job well, you got to pick up for their slack. Are any of you in a situation where, where they very often do not do their job very well and you are, are left scrambling, otherwise you're both going to look bad, you're not going to perform, how much better is it to have a great partner? Last week, about a week or so ago, Debbie and I went to one of our favorite stores, Downtown Summit, right on Springfield Avenue, the Papery. I don't know if you've been in the Papery. Lots of cards and little knickknacks and gifts. Well, the Papery is closing and moving a couple of doors up to a smaller space. We didn't know that. We go in and clearance, clearance. We've got some great buys on things. Everything's like 50% off and so on. And the thought occurred to me, they have these awesome bookcases that they put the displays in. I said, are you selling the furnishings too? And they said, yeah. Are you selling those bookcases? Yes, I went over to the bookcase. They had a price on it that was like crazy cheap and they're beautiful. And we bought three. So I now have three bookcases. How am I getting them to the house? What am I going to do? Long story short, renting a truck, getting two guys, straps, blankets, dollies, lifting. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Taking off the legs. Oh, now. In other words, what looked like a really good idea is still a really good idea because now they're in there and they are like really nice. But it was a lot of work. We get this ideal in, in, in our minds for where we want to be spiritually and we think we're going to automatically get there. You're not. It's work. But we've got a great partner. I want you to imagine your life as a house. Jesus bought your house. If you've given your life to him, if you've understood that on the cross, when he shed his blood for you, he was taking your place. He was bearing in himself our sins, and we're all sinful people. And by asking him for forgiveness and inviting him in our heart, he took over. He owns us. The Bible says you are not your own. And so our house, our life, was deeded and titled to Jesus. And guess what happens? He shows up in front of your house with two big moving trucks. One moving truck says the cross of Calvary, and it's empty. The other moving truck says power of the resurrection, and it's full. And the idea is that the Lord gets out and walks with you into your life, into your house, and goes through the rooms and says, all right, I've got some things that need to get out of these rooms. And I've got some other things that need to go in. And so you walk over to something and it's way too heavy. I mean, this is something you've never liked in that room. I mean, it's always been, you've tried to cover it. It's a little embarrassing. You wish it wasn't there. And the Lord says, that's the first thing we're moving. Lord, I've tried. It's so heavy. Don't worry. You get on this side. I get on that side. And you and God pick that thing up, and you walk out to the Cross of Calvary truck, and you leave it there. And then he says, come on over to this other truck, the power of the resurrection truck. And he's got something perfect that he wants to put right in that room. And you go through that process in your life. You see, you receive your salvation. You are born again as an act of God's grace, unmerited favor. You do nothing to earn it. God forbid, then the cross would be meaningless. But having received it, now there's a process that has to begin of you and God working together. You see, we're God's occupation. Occupation comes from the word preoccupation. They just dropped the pre somewhere somewhere along the way but your occupation is what you're occupied with and god is occupied he is occupied with us with this process look at what it says in ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we're his work we're his job we're god's occupation Somebody has said that life is really not a lot of ups and downs. Life is a lot of ins and outs. It's God putting in and God taking out. I want to share with you a little bit about a woman named Lillian. She lived in the early part of the last century. Lillian was 22 years old, and she had all kinds of dreams for her life. She was engaged to be married. She was very much in love. She kept a diary so we know her thoughts. And Lillian wrote in the diary that she dreamed of of having a big, beautiful home, of being a, a mom, of being a wife, and having 12 children. That's what she wanted, a big family. Well, along the way, Lillian, in her life with the Lord, began to pray, and her heart is stirred, and she began to feel that God was impressing on her to go to Egypt. Now, to go to Egypt in 2016 is a big deal. To go to Egypt in 1909 is a really big deal. But she's feeling like God is saying, I want you to go to Egypt. So she shares this with her fiancé, who does not feel these inclinations. And he says to her, Lillian, basically, it's mere Egypt. And she goes back to God in prayer. And the Lord says, come on, come on, Lillian, let's go in your house. Let's go in your heart room. And they go in the heart room and there's his name on the box. And inside the box are the kids in the house. And God says, come on, let me give me a hand with this. And they carry it out to the cross of Calvary truck. And they walk over to the other truck, and there's a box in there that says, Orphans of Egypt. Come on, Lily. And they take it, and they walk in, and they leave that one in her heart. Fifty years go by. Lillian is still keeping her diary as the children are gathering and gathering. And 50 years go by, near the end of her life, she writes this in her diary. I was a young, happy girl of not quite 23 years, full of dreams of all the wonderful things I was sure life held for me. The most important of all was that I would have 12 children. Here I am, a tired, old, gray-headed woman, looking out my window in Egypt and not seeing 12 children, but 1,200 children. I believe few have lived a fuller life than I. Lillian Trasher, her orphanage is famous, 1,200 orphans at a time that was hard work for her to do to let god take that box out with that man's name and those children and put this other box in but at the end of her life she could not be happier that she allowed that that transaction to occur it's going to be hard work for us to let god get in there and do the work that he needs to do within us it's going to cause some grumbling we're going to be disappointed we're going to be sad we might even get a little mad at god that's why the next verse occurs In verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't argue with God over it. I mean, you can argue. Read the Psalms. It's full of arguing. Let him know how you feel. But at the end of the day, then surrender. And let him do the work that he needs to do. Because we have really no right to argue with God. If you think of what he's done in your life, how he's forgiven your sins. Lamentations 3.39 says... Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of their sins? I had an attorney friend in Scotch Plains. His name was Michael. We prayed for Michael. Michael was a Jewish man who was very curious about our faith and whether or not Jesus was Messiah. I'd often talk with him about it. Michael came down with bone cancer and colon cancer, and he asked our church to pray. And we prayed. And he got treatment, and... And after the treatments and prayer, he was declared cancer-free. And he was so so excited. he believed that God answered those prayers. And I saw him sometime later, and I said,, uh, "Michael, how are you doing?" And there, there was a partner, one of his partners was there. I said, "Michael, how are you doing?" And he said, "I'm doing great. I have Crohn's disease." And the guy that was next to him was like, "What are you talking about?" And this guy didn't know about Michael's history. And Michael says, you see, when you've got bone cancer and you've got colon cancer and it's gone, but then later you get this terrible stomach pain and you find out it's not bone cancer, it's not colon cancer, it's Crohn's disease, you are thrilled you have Crohn's disease. We got to put everything in perspective. When we were on our way from eternal separation from God, without hope, without God in this world, in our ignorance and in our blindness, and God in his mercy and grace raised us from the dead, forgave our sins, filled us with the Holy Spirit, and promises us heaven, then anything else that happens in life is not worth grumbling over. It's really not. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. God doesn't like it. I mean, I took my son once to go see the Power Rangers. This is when he's little, right? And we go to Radio City Music Hall to go see the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And it cost me a lot of money. I bought really good seats. And, and, and the, the boy, to park in New York and all the, the tolls and the wow, went all out. And we, the concession stand and got him this and got him that. It's the end of the night. It was a great night. We're leaving the theater. We're in the lobby. And there was like this, this sword that lit up or something that he wanted. And I said, and I I want that. And I said, no, honey, look, we've done enough. And he got, he like, oh, did I get mad. (laughs) And I went down the list of everything we did that night and everything that he got already. And how dare you put your foot down to me. Well, he started to cry and he felt bad and he asked me to forgive him. And it was okay. (laughs) But we're like that with God, right? God does this, God does that, 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 that. And then, but God, I want that. And God gets mad sometimes. Like, don't you see what I've done for you? So do everything without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Act like children of God. Before I was a believer, there was a song in my teenage years. I didn't know I could be anything else. There was a song I loved called Children of the Grave. Because I thought that's what I was, a child of the grave. And I was a child of the grave. And then one day it dawned on me, I'm a child of God, not a child of the grave. Uh, John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he became right to become children of God. And as children of God, let's not grumble or dispute. And as God is working in these things and we're not grumbling or disputing, we're shining brightly like the stars. Right now, I can see the sun came out. Thank God. The clouds hopefully are gone. Do you know the stars are in the sky? If you look up and see a blue sky, stars are there, but you don't see them because the sky is blue. It's in the darkest of the night that you see the stars. There's this new technology in televisions. I mean, You may have heard it already. Uh, my phone has it. If you have a Samsung, you probably have it called OLED Organic light-emitting diodes. The televisions are pretty expensive right now, but they're coming down in price. Probably by this coming Christmas, they'll become affordable. Organic light-emitting diodes. OLEDs are different than LEDs. LEDs have a backlight to them, so they're thicker. An OLED is about the thickness of my pinky. It has no backlight. There's no light going through a filter to make colors. The molecules, the red, blue, green, yellow molecules, self-emit. They get electrified, and they give off their own color without a backlight. What that means is this, then there's true black on the screen. You see, an LED never has true black. An LED has gray because there's a backlight. You remove the backlight, you have true black. When you have true black, colors pop because they're against a true black. The darker the world gets, the brighter our colors are supposed to pop for the Lord. We are organic, light-emitting humanoids. We have Jesus who's supposed to emit right through our very being. Marriage got redefined a year or two ago, and now it's like every year there's some new thing. And now there's bathroom issues you know what who goes to what bathroom who what's it going to be next year and here's the issue we are just like people who are confused about their genders we are just like people who have issues with same-sex attraction whether or not those are your issues or not you're just like them why because we're all sinful people we're all blind ignorant people we've just found the light The message of the bible is simply this someone put it this way it's one beggar telling the other beggars where they found the bread we found the bread and so our job is to speak up for righteousness to speak up for what is biblical truth but to do so with grace and mercy and love and understanding that people without god are hopelessly lost and their only hope is the light that shines through us so People may get angry. They may think you're a holier, think coming off like holier than thou or self-righteous. If you just approach people with humility and brokenness and say, please understand, I am not your judge. The Lord God is your judge, and he's a merciful judge. I am just here to tell you the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. And it's getting darker and darker and darker. And we should be like those that the Lord said in Luke, when you see these things happening, just lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. The world more and more needs a redeemer, needs a savior, needs people to stand up for the truth, needs people to say that light is light and dark is dark. Look at Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Life in HD is you and I living in such a way that we manifest the truth to all those around us and shine with the light of the world so those groping in darkness know where to go to find the answer. That's life. In HD, Paul then shifts and he goes introspectively and he says, do this, verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may have caused to glory that I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul concludes this passage with a moment of self-revelation. We are understanding now that he thinks that it's possible that they may not make it. He says, I may have run in vain. I may have toiled in vain. I don't know. He was a tent maker, and he knew that in the process of making a tent, if there was a flaw in the fabric, you can't just get white out or something. The whole tent was ruined. And in the process of working to build up a church in Philippi, he was concerned that he might have done all this work in vain if, if they don't do this, if they don't live the kind of way that he's challenging them to live. When I was at Gordon-Conwell... I was getting my Master of Divinity degree there. It's in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. It's a beautiful campus. Uh, it's up on a hill. It's really high up on a hill. And on top of the steeple is a cross. That cross gets lit up at night. It's the highest place in the area, and on the top of the steeple is a cross that gets lit up at night. And so one of my responsibilities at school was to man the switchboard on weekends. So anybody who called on the weekend, I would get the phone call at the switchboard. Everybody had to take turns, all the, all the RAs had to take turns. And So I'm on there one weekend, stormy weekend. I get a call from Logan Airport. Logan Airport <clears throat> wants to know what's happened to our cross. Turns out that because of some lighting, issues at the school or some issue the cross hadn't been lit for a few days and i said i think they're having some mechanical issues with the cross why he said because our pilots use the cross as the place that they know to make their turn to go into logan airport and they're wondering where the cross is (laughs) that's such a picture of the world they're looking for the cross They don't know it. In fact, they would be astounded to to say, oh, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, they are. In their heart of hearts, they are. Because when they see the cross, they'll know where to turn. They'll know what they need to do. And the place they see the cross is in your life and in my life. Don't let that light be out at the moment people need to see it the most. The last we hear of the Philippian church is 50 years later, an early church father named Polycarp writes them a letter. They seem to be doing good 50 years later. But that's the last we hear. And today, Philippi's in ruins. There's nothing there. Whatever happened to them? Did they make it? Did they survive? Did they pass their faith on to others? We don't know. We won't know until we go to heaven. But the one little piece of evidence of the Philippi church that remains is the letter to the Philippians. And whether or not Paul had run in vain... Remains to be seen in our lives as his words are received by you this morning. Live your life in such a way that you are working out with God your salvation so that he can work in his good pleasure. Don't grumble about it. Let him do it. And if you do, you'll shine brightly and point people to the way of the cross.